Tonight, I want to talk about the word increase. Sunday, um, actually, we had another miracle that happened. I think my mom was preaching the other day, and she came in with crutches, a walker. And when you left, she left walking. Glory to God. I'm going to get, hold on, let me, let me grab this mic. My, turn, the, turn the second mic on. It, you got to share the, the testimonies because faith comes by hearing, so it's good to have Good to have some testimonies. Come on up. Hello. Oh. <laughs> Come up so the people can see you. Amen. That was your first. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Look at her. Wow. Now, you couldn't no, do that before. I believe. I was reading Faith, the, the book that your mom gave me. Okay. And I read it. But the, yeah, if you don't mind. And me. I read it. Sorry. No, you're God. You're all right. I'm a little... Nervous. I'm sorry. Um, first, let me say I had been going through depression. And the morning of, I had planned my suicide. And, I mean, planned it. I was ready. I was going. And something made me turn the other way. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not going that way. <laughs> I'm going this way. And um, I called Taylor, a good friend, and she comes to this church. The twins, right? Taylor and Sarah. And she said, I just thought about you. Please come to church with us. I said, yeah, mm, I don't want to go to church. <laughs> it's okay. I, I have to go somewhere else. And she goes, no, you're going to come to church. <laughs> so I went to her house, um, and I... The whole time, claws at my neck and my shoulder. Um, I get out of the car, get my walker, and by the way, the devil's a liar. <laughs> they said that I was on the beginning stages of ALS, and um, I rebuked that. Oof. I walked into this church with a walker, barely walking. And um, I felt something inside of me, you know? And I'm back there with Taylor and Sarah and her family, and something kept telling me, run, run, get out. And I'm like, uh That was during the service when mom was preaching? And she yes. Was just, I mean, the she just kept going, and she, she was, was going. She was preaching like the wallpaper was And on something fire. kept telling me, get out. Leave, leave. And I said, no, I'm staying. Amen. No, leave. And I said, no, I got to stay. All I know is that when she said for y'all to walk in front for prayer or whatever, actually right before that, I wanted to come up. And I started feeling something evil, nasty on me. I don't remember a lot. All I know is that I walked out. With no walker. Amen. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. And that was real. Like, I didn't really, like, I believed. No, that's a lie. I, I was never sure. I wanted to believe. And I was raised in the Catholic Church. So I really wanted to believe there's a Jesus, there's a God. But where are you at? And he was always in there. And he was always, hey, hey. Come on. And I'm like, yeah, rebellious. But all I wanted to say and share is that this is home. Amen. You guys are home. I love y'all. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. I'm going to get some more of that. I want to, because I want to shoot some more of that. But God, man, praise the Lord. Everybody just lift your hands. Father, we thank you right now. We Come here, I'm going to pray over you. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that this her best days are ahead of her, that her, not only is she recovering in her body in Jesus' name, but her family and her finances and her future in the name of Jesus. And from this night forward, everything will be different from here on out. Father, you said in Isaiah 43, behold, I'm doing something brand new. Don't you see it happening right now? It's breaking forth. I'm even making rivers in the bad lands and waters in the desert in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory for this healing. And we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, tonight I want to talk about increase, and it's going to go along with what I was talking about Sunday. 
on character and developing you and how um, as God begins to, the reason your character is growing is because he's going to increase you. And like I said, your talent can take you so high, or dad's always told that, but he said if your character's not there, you'll fall from that position. And so many ministers, Mary Fran told me one time, is they'll spend more time busy with the ministry instead of spending time with the Lord or with the Father and what his actual heart is for ministry. And they get way too busy to the point where they lose that fellowship, that relationship with him. And the Bible says, wait on the Lord and he renews your strength. He swaps strength with you. And so your strength comes from that time with God, your prayer time with God. Just coming home after Tennessee and like she was saying, the love, man, that I I wasn't getting up there that I was telling y'all about. When I come home, you get back to the love, get back to just my prayer time. And I felt totally recharged just these last few days coming home. And it's funny, it's like the Lord just been speaking to me and, uh, you know, and we're, we're not super busy right now, which is nice. The holidays, we kind of slow down. We just had the big event out there. But I realized that the Lord, uh, the other day at the gym, Alex and I, he was in the service and he was like, man, that really helped me because he said it at work. He's like, I know I, want, I need to go higher at work. But he goes, I know I've been walking in with a really, you know, I've just been upset. I got a bad attitude. I'm entitled. I've been here a long time. I know more than everybody else. And um, I said, you do. And I said, you know, but it's funny. I said, God didn't create you to stay in that position. Because I'm looking back when I used to work. I never worked in retail, but I worked in a restaurant. And you're looking at somebody who's been in that position. You're like, oh, man, there's just so much more out there for you. There's increase. But in their mind, they're like, oh, this is the, the best I'm doing right now. And you're like, oh, no, God wants to take you to increase. But he's not taking you while you're still walking into work and your manager can see, you know, an attitude or an entitlement or this or whatever it is. And it's not that he always has that, but he says, I've definitely had, have had that before. But he says, man, I'm going to really start pushing myself in the word more instead of just listening to podcasts on the way to work or just random YouTube videos or things just but intentionally building yourself up. Uh, for the God to use you in the last days. And so the Lord's been pushing me a lot more to get this word in me. Because in times that you're not really doing a lot, you think, well, God's not really moving. And he is, but he's wanting you to grow. Because you're not going to be ready for the next season of your life if during the growing season you're just kind of sitting around waiting for something to happen. Maybe it's a season of preparation, and we're going to see that um, in the Old Testament. And so I realized that I was reading after reading Daniel, I realized that if you look at the Bible from Genesis all the way to the book of Matthew and even the New Testament, God, his whole purpose with them was he was trying to get them to increase so he could use them, right? And the whole Old Testament was about increase. And so we're going to go to Genesis 1.28. This is where he's going to start. So this is my uh, little stock market graph about increase. Everybody likes to increase. I don't think I know a person on the planet who does not want more of either finances, better relationships, increase uh, maybe in the moves of God with the spirit of God and their giftings of God. So really for people to kind of have this humble attitude, well, I don't really want much, you know, it's, I, as long as I can take care of my family and nobody else, well, that's kind of a selfish attitude. And Grant Cardone, he actually said that one time to a guy, Grant Cardone's not really like a really big super Christian, but he's like, what, what can you do for your community and your church if you're just, you don't have enough money, you're broke, you have nothing? And he said, no, I'm a billionaire, and I, I, can, I give this to the city, I can do that. And he's, he's kind of being arrogant, but at the same time, the point he was making was very true that when you have increase, you can do more. And so Genesis 1:28, he says, God blessed them. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So right there from the first chapter in Genesis, God is telling them, I want you to increase. I want you to multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living thing that moves on the earth. So from chapter 1, God has already given them a command, go out and multiply. I want you to increase, take the earth, subdue it and take it and do something with it. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. So I know I might be going kind of fast with some of these. Uh, Lord said to Abraham, get out of your own country from your family and from your father's house to the land I'm going to show you. I'll make you a great nation. Boom. Genesis 12, Lord's already telling Abraham, I got this massive plan for you. I'm going to turn you into an entire nation. Imagine being Abraham going, whoa, all right, Lord, we're just getting acquainted here. And the Lord's like, I got big plans for you. Go look at the stars. See them all, count them, because that's going to be how many your descendants are. Then he takes them up on a hill, and he says, you see all this land right here? 
oh, that's going to be for you and your descendants. And then he tells Abraham, now get out from your family, and I'm going to show you a place. And so Abraham, uh, I don't think really he had any idea where he was going. And so sometimes with God, it's like this journey of the unknown. You ever notice that with him? You're like, God, what are we doing? Don't worry about it. Just go to this next place. Uh, are you going to give me a hit? Are you going to tell me? No. Go to this next spot and do what I tell you to do. Okay, Lord. <laughs> and, you know, it's like he never shows you way. F- Sometimes he gives you maybe a glimpse. Like, you know, me and you talk that he's kind of giving you a glimpse of some things he wants you to do. And he'll drop some desires in your heart. But he's never giving you like this whole big picture. Uh, not all the time. And so I've noticed that a lot of that you're going to be trusting the Lord. You're going to just be faithful. You're going to stay in prayer. You're going to stay committed. Um, because there's a, let me see, I want to read something. Abraham held true to a promise for 25 years. Jesus, 30 years, passed every test, the wilderness test, um, everything Satan tried to throw at him. Jesus, from the time that the Lord, he healed a guy that, or I think it was Jairus' daughter, she was only dead maybe a few minutes or an hour, and then it, the, the time increased, and you got Lazarus, he's dead three days, and Jesus, or God is compare, getting ready to send Jesus to the cross and saying, I need you to trust me. So I'm going to start you here, and I need you to grow in these. And, and so Jesus didn't start off just dying on the cross. He passed some tests that he had to go through in order to go to the cross. And even for God, to, you know, he, I mean, he had to live in a sinless uh, life. And so not only Jesus, uh, Daniel um, passed he never compromised, right? So the beginning, when he went in, they said, you're going to have to eat the king's food. He said, no, I'm not eating the king's food. We're Hebrews. We have the, the law of Moses. We cannot have certain types of food. And so he said, oh, man, you're going to have my head and your head when Nebuchadnezzar finds out you're not going to eat his food. And he said, well, that's fine. You know, we, we serve the God of Israel. Comes back. They came out smarter, wiser. They knew more than all the sages and the magicians and all those people. So they said, let them eat their food. And they changed his name, gave him a, a, a Babylonian name. And then what, I think two years later or the second year of the reign of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, then bow down when the music plays, you're going to worship the calf. And Daniel said, nope, me, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, none of us are doing that. And he said, well, we're going to throw you in the fire. And he said, well, that's called no compromise, right? I'm not getting off what? what I know in the word, and so Amber and I got a book called No Compromise by Rick Renner, so she was saying, hey, we should read this together, <laughs> this book's like this thick. <laughs> you know Rick Renner, every, every, he breaks everything down, and it, it's a great book, but it's definitely, a, it's definitely going to be a long read, and so Daniel never, never compromised, and even Daniel served, I think he served three kings, Nebuchadnezzar, he served Nebuchadnezzar's son, which he didn't last long, uh, he took the throne, and he stole the golden cups out of the, the, the temple. And then God wrote on the wall and Daniel walked in. Talking about passing test, Daniel's going to have to say what he's got to say to the king. God said, your kingdom will be done in a few days or whatever. And right after that, his, he passed away. And then the, um, I think King Darius took it. And then new reign. And Daniel's old at this point. He's already been through everything that he could, he's been through, right? And he's... But at the same time, if you, the new, new leadership comes in, new political party, you can't worship. You can't pray. And Daniel just swings his window open, and I'm praying anyways. And gets thrown in the lion's den, but boom, passes a test. And so I believe there's going to be God, um, I believe that he, what does it say, that he doesn't tempt, test and try any man. He doesn't test you with sickness and disease. Because he's not working with the devil to try to make you uh, a better person. Him and, he's not saying, I, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it, except for on the side, I'm going to hire Satan to make you sick a little bit so I can teach you something. He, his whole, Jesus' whole work in Colossians 3 says, I'm going to strip, I've stripped him of all authority and power by triumphing in the streets with the cross. And so God doesn't test people with, um, sickness and disease, with bad things. Jesus says, I've come that you'd have life and have life more abundantly. And then all of a sudden, but a couple of people, I'm going to smack them in the head and I'm going to kill them and I'm going to judge them. So that's a, that's, you can't use those scriptures. You, in the light of the word, you have to look at when he's saying that he can, he can put you through a series where he's going to build your character because all through the Old Testament, um, he did that. And so you're going to go through those times where God will do that. Uh, let's see, I'll, 
let's, I'm going to read something from Daniel 2.46. King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrated himself before Daniel, commanded that they should present an offering to an incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is a God of gods, the Lord of kings and revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him a ruler over the whole providence of Babylon, the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king and set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. And Daniel sat in the gate of the king. And so you can see that even as a, as like a Hebrew who's not even Babylonian, who they were captured as slaves, Daniel's already sitting at the highest seat in the land. And God's purpose was to get Daniel to that spot and wanted to increase him. And so it wasn't going to be easy. Uh, let's look at Joseph, Genesis 41 through 46. And I was kind of noticing that. I'm like, you know, it's interesting how there's people who um, they can't even see that in the entire Old Testament that God was, was even back before the new covenant was increasing everybody and wanting to them increase. And yet most people can't even receive increase. They don't even think it's for them. And so you can't boldly ask God or boldly by faith claim something. I think it was Smith Wigglesworth that said this, that you're not really sure that God's offering. So you can't get a confession out and say, I believe this, when you're not even sure if you're supposed to have it. But I believe that, you know, that's why you pray in the Spirit is because the Lord takes these things in the Word and it makes it alive to you to where you can see it. And so 41, uh, I think I want to start at verse 46 through 57. Now in the seventh plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up food in the cities and laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sands of the sea. Wow. I think some, oh, until he stopped counting for it was immeasurable. And Joseph were born two sons in the years of famine came um, let me see if I'm going to keep going from that. There was another. I wanted to go. Anyways, uh, I'm going to jump down to 56. The famine was all over the face of the earth. Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. Wow, I bet he made a lot of money, or Egypt did. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because famine was severe in the land. So if you see that, God is giving Joseph this amazing task. He's setting him up in the highest seat of the land. Again, he did it with Daniel, did it with Joseph. And it's like, it's like with God's people, he's wanting you to increase in your life. And most people are scared. I'm, trust me, when Mary Fran told me that we're going to start, you know, there's going to be more people coming and we might be hiring more people and we're going to expand and grow, it's like, oh, my goodness, I really can't see myself doing any more than I'm doing now. But there's people out there that do do that. They, they're able to run entire companies with hundreds of people under them. Why? They just think differently. They've been around the increase. They think increase. They don't think that. Uh, and so how many employees do you have or did you have at your, is that what you're saying? It was me? Oh, amen. Amen. Glory to God. It's you. I was like, hey, if you've got 100 people under you, I'm going to let you come up and say something. But you have to think differently and you know, obviously we're going to get into why that God wants you to increase. But I'm seeing that, that right there, uh, Joseph is, is, is serving the land of Egypt. and He's serving the people from surrounding countries, and God is setting him in that seat. And that this is Old Covenant. I mean, this is, this is Book of Genesis. This is the first one. And so um, I believe that, let me get a swig of water because I'm just going off. I've seen in my own life how God took me from a company where I was learning to manufacture at Pentair. I worked for Josh Brown. I was building these systems, and you start off in a small department, and you're building the little stuff. Well, then they moved me to a, uh, maybe another department. It was a little bigger, and then to the big department where you built the big systems. And then next thing you know, I found out these things cost over a million dollars a piece, and I'm thinking, I'm building this, and this client's paying for this? Oh, Lord, am I worthy of this? This client should get a discount, especially from you know, kid from Lake County building this thing. And then we'd go on jobs and we would work and we'd build and we'd do custom work and, and the drawings would never match up. So we just would kind of use our imagination and make it to 
as clean as we look. And the next thing you know, I'm in Japan working. And then a lot of those skills that I learned here, I learned there, I'm using them here now in the maintenance area. I have a lot of tool background, manufacturing background. Um, and, and then the Lord just kind of, I was reading one time about Solomon, how that when he went, he had a dream and he asked the Lord, I said, I want wisdom. And the Lord says, well, because you asked me this, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you knowledge. You'll be the wisest man in all the earth. And it was like, to me, it was like there was no capacity that Solomon couldn't take. Then he would, I said, Solomon knew all about the birds. He knew all about the woods. He knew all about every piece of wood, every tree, all the trade ports. I mean, Solomon knew about it all. Every animal he knew about, every season he knew about. And it was said that all the, the surrounding nations would come and trade to Solomon. And so the, you know, the queen of Sheba was like, who is this guy? And she shows up and Solomon built, his purpose was to build the temple and God increased him to build the temple that David had drawn up. And so there was a purpose and so God has something for us to do. And so Solomon did what he was supposed to do by building the second temple. And what I thought was amazing is that it was like that there was, once God just said, this is what you asked for, I'll give it to you. There was like no ending to the capacity of what Solomon could do. I mean, if you just read through what, what Solomon did, it's, it's amazing. You're like, how could this guy know how to do so many different things? So I said, okay, what they say that we don't really use 100% of our brain, maybe there's just the God side that people are not tapping into. And maybe it's the people believe that there's a limit, and that's why there's a limit. But it's like with Chuck Yeager, once that they started believing that they could push the limit with the Mach 1, with Mach 2, then they started breaking barriers because of their belief system of what was possible. And like God says, there's nothing impossible to the man that believes. And so then we went to Mach 1, we went to Mach 2, we went to Mach 3, and then supersonic. And then now you got Elon Musk who's trying to get people back and forth to the moon, and he's landing rockets front side up. And so we've grown, and there's not really a barrier to what in society is just over time of what people believe. Like Dad said, first, the, you know, the Dick Tracy movie, and the next thing you know, we have an Apple Watch where you can talk in your watch. And so I started thinking that there's really no barrier to what I can do with God. And that was how George Washington Carver was. George Washington Carver was uh, born during the, uh, I think he died in the 40s, but he was born way before that, during the time of slavery. But he was, uh, family died, and then he was, uh, a white family took him in, and, and they were Christians, and they began to teach him the word. And he had a curiosity for God and for, he loved science and he loved things. And, and he didn't really know that there was a limit to what he could do. And he ended up changing the entire South with crop rotation. He created 300 uses for the peanut, 100 for, with uh, sweet potatoes. He made axle grease. Him and Henry Ford made fuel, different types of fuel. But he, there, was no, there was no limit to what, because he said there was a place in the forest where one day he walked out and he felt the presence of God. And he said, somebody's been here. Somebody's here. He was very sensitive to the things of God. And I think once he hit 12 years old, he went to, um, he wanted to go to school, which to me, I guess they said it was really odd that back then during the slavery days that a young black boy would want to go to school because there wasn't education. It was very hard, but he really wanted to go to school. And he walked eight miles, and then he lived with some lady who was, uh, she was a scientist, or no, she, she was like a botanist. She loved plants. And she was on fire for God. And so she would teach George more of the Bible. And he would grow in his love for plants and for things. But the one thing he talked about was the forest where he would walk in and talk to Mr. Creator. And it was like him and God would just talk for hours. He loved being outside. He loved being with the flowers. And that's when he started. That's where the book, The Man Who Talks With Flowers, uh, came about. But then all of a sudden, it was like that he didn't even know being with God, he didn't even know there was really anything wrong with him which, with what was going on with society because he spent so much time with God. And then obviously society pushed back, but he still continued to move forward. And to the point where to the end of his life that they would, even with all the racism, they would bring him in and the people hated him as soon as he started talking. As soon as he started talking, he'd bring out all of his little things he created, the people were like in awe of what he did and all these things that he made. I mean, uh, peanut butters and jellies and jams and all these different things that he'd pull from plants. And so when your dad would read these stories to me as a kid, I'm thinking, okay, there's no limit to what I can do. There's no limit 
that if I'm already made in the image of God to what I can really, that what's inside of me, but you're going to have to have faith and start drawing that out. So I remember I got into building computers, and then I did that, and I built a bunch of computers, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm bored with that. So then I started building guns, and then built a bunch of guns, and I got bored with that. And then me and dad built a house, and, you know, I, I play every instrument on the band. Um, I do maintenance working. Uh, I do IT and tech hunt with dad. Dad taught me how to process all my deer and live in the woods. And there's just a, you know, I can, me and my uncle went water skiing and wakeboarding. It's just, to me, there's no limit of how much stuff you can learn. And anything in the church that comes like, we're, I helped dad make a book. I've never made a book before. And so I just, okay, well, you know, I got the mind of Christ. We're going to figure it out. Somebody else can do it. I can do it. Get on there and start learning. Next thing you know, me and dad are publishing books. And now we got our second book coming out, a children's book. And um, it, the little creature's coming out, and we're going to open a publishing company. I've never opened a publishing company. I don't know anything about publishing companies. I don't know anything about books. I don't know anything about book tours and book sales. And <laughs> but I know there's no limit to God, and he's wanting to increase. And so the one thing um, I'm gonna, I want to read about Genesis 13, we're going to go to the next, uh, well, it was after Abraham. Let's see if I can even get through this sermon tonight because... I'm not getting very far, but it's, it's good. Amen. So he tells him in 12 he's going to make him a great nation. 13. Um, so 13.1, Abraham went up to Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, Lot with him. Which is funny, the, the Lord never told him to take Lot, but he took Lot because Lot was his nephew. So people are like, I don't really know if Lot was supposed to go or not, but... Uh, God never said, but he never said he couldn't take him. So Abraham was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. He went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the, a place where the tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar. Oh, look, that's the first Ai in the Bible. Anybody catch that? <laughs> to the place of the altar which he had made there first, and Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Lot went with Abraham. He had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the Canaanites and the Pezzarites dwelt in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is, it not the whole land, is there not a whole land before you separate from me? And if you take the left, then I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. So Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan. It's interesting how Abraham just gave him the first option. I mean, that's, that's the heart of a giver right there. And it's amazing how Lot, because of Abraham and the blessing on Abraham, was blessed. But uh, Lot was also hanging around Abraham. You notice when um, Mary Fran talks about impartations in Romans 1, Paul says, I might come to impart a spiritual gift unto you. And so I learned this, that an impartation is when you're hanging around somebody and they're speaking, like God's words are so powerful, but man's words are powerful too, and you're taking that into you. That's why I was reading in Jonathan's book, be careful who you're hanging around. The Bible says you hang, around, hang out with a companion of fools, you become like them. You hang out with wise men, you become wise. And so an impartation is like him and I could be talking about something, and, he, and he's just firing me up. We're going to do this, and blah, 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 and I'm going to start this, and this is going to be blessed. It's going to be prosperous. And I'm like, oh, wow, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, let's do it. But you can also be hanging around somebody negative, and they can be doing the same thing to you. And so you have to be very careful. Uh, Jonathan made a funny statement. He said, you can have the anointing through the laying on of hands, uh, like maybe like an impartation or like a gift, but he says that the word of God, the preaching of the gospel, if somebody listens to preaching seven days a week, will have a greater impartation because that word is getting in their spirit versus somebody who got hands laid on them once. And the person, because the word of God is so powerful, it's a double-edged sword. And then, then he said, one time he said, I was so broke, he said, I got Fred Price's message on prosperity out. And he said, the, the ministry was going under. He said, we started at $3,000 a week. The next thing you know, they were saying we needed 50 or I don't know, or close to uh, $100,000. We were, and then we need another 100, and they just kept going in the hole. And Jonathan said, I got Fred Price's messages out, and I just pumped him in my spirit. Just put two hours a day, I'm just pumping him in me. And he says, in two weeks, he said somebody gave his ministry a million dollars. Because he was, he said the impartation of that word was, was, was just kept 
uh, flowing into his spirit. He's hearing. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, not that you, not faith comes by you heard maybe a month ago. You can't live off the thought of yesterday's bread. You give us today our daily bread. I ate probably six meals today <laughs> working out. And so, uh, I don't know, Smith Wigglesworth said people will feed themselves three hot meals a day and one cold snack of the word. And they expect that their life is going to be, they're going to do great exploits with God. And so one thing I've loved about listening to Jonathan say that, he's like, if you're preaching the word, you need to get that word built in you. Sometimes an hour, two hours a day of somebody just pumping faith into you. And that's what, and faith produces. And like Paul says, um, you know me by my actions. He says, you say you have faith, but you have no actions. He said, you'll see my faith by my action. What was interesting about faith and acting, like she said, I, would you say you came up and ran up here? You walk, so, so believed and then an action, right? And so I'm going to, the first action was I'm going to church. You know, I may not understand, so you can have doubt in your head, but believing in your heart. You know what I mean? And so many times you're fighting with your head, but your heart's saying you need to do this because there is a belief in there that God will do this. And so Paul says, I'll show you my faith by my action. And I thought about that. There's times in the gym where I've prayed for people and I didn't really know if they're gonna get healed or not, but the Bible says to lay hands on the sick and they recover. Now I may have doubt, but what is faith doing? I'm acting on the word of God. I'm just, I'm not even, I may not be believing, but he says faith produces an action. So if he says lay hands on the sick, I'm just going to act like the Bible's true. I may not believe it right now. I may not have seen the experience, but the Bible says lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So we're going to lay hands. We're going to pray in Jesus' name. We call this sickness to get off in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Well, I may not have be as experienced as another person in faith, but faith is, needs an action behind it, right? And so Paul says you'll see my faith by my action. And so even with increase, there's going to be faith that's involved with increasing. And a lot of times it's with you taking, like I said, a vision board maybe of something that you want to see, and that's an action. Or if you're wanting to pray for the sick, just create an action. You may not believe totally yet, but faith has an action behind it. And the, the belief will come later. Uh, I heard Todd White say that he prayed for like 100 people one time before ever, anyone ever got healed, or like a, like a few years or a year or two. I think it was one year, he said. He would go to work, and anytime somebody needed prayer, he'd pray. Now, he also said this, but he'd go home and he'd read the word. So he didn't have a lot of the word in him yet, but he was just acting in faith anyways. But he'd go home at night, he'd read scriptures on healing, and then he'd pray for somebody. And then like a year later, he said healings were just popping off. Why? He's acting out what he wants to see. And so um, I love something Lynn Hammond said, hunger is like a vacuum in the spirit. Those who hunger and thirst for the things of God shall be filled and so when you're hungry for something, you're drawing that to you. And so you're hungry for God, you're hungry for the things of God, you, that's, you're, you're, you're pulling on that to you. And I wanna, I'm going to read, uh, i got to see if I even have that in George Washington Carver's book, because he says that. He says in the book that there was three things that, that he said you had to do. Number one, you had to love something. The whole universe works off love is what Jesus said. That you can have all, you can be, you're like a clanging brass without love. Love is the greatest commandment. So he said if you love something enough, it would, it would reveal secrets to you. So he said I love the flower so much that it would reveal the secrets of what everything that flower could do. That's why he could pull out all the, he could take a peanut and pull 300 different uses out of it. Make peanut milk, jersey milk, make all kinds of greases and different things. Or, or the stuff for the back of the stamps came out of the sweet potato. But he said that if you love people enough, people will reveal their secrets to you. And so he would just get around somebody and somebody would just start telling him. He said even the, the most worst criminal in the world loved would break down and tell you everything. And so he said the first thing uh, you had to do if you wanted to see really God really moving or see things like that in your life like he saw is you have to love. Uh, I'm not really sure with a second. I, I'm gonna, I'll pull it up in a second and I'll go over it. Let's actually see if I still got the book pulled up. I actually do have the book pulled up. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but I'm just going to flow. Um, Dr. Carver and I were alone in my home early on the hours of a March day. He reached his long, sensitive fingers 
and tenderly touched a flower on the table. When I touched the flower, he said softly, I'm not merely touching that flower, I'm touching infinity. That little flower existed long before there were human beings on the earth. It will continue to exist for thousands of years, yes, billions of years to come. That is the secret of his power of talking with the flowers. They are merely doorways for him to the infinite world. They are windows through which he sees the face of God. Even when he could not talk to them and hear them, unless he possessed the key, and the key is something he carries in his spirit. It's a golden key with three prongs. And the first one, he said, you must love the flower or love that thing. There's nothing more powerful in the universe than love. Love is not merely a sentimental attachment, but a force which holds the stars in their courses. It's a magnet which draws all things into it. Isn't that interesting? And love is a magnet that draws. But isn't that what God is made out of? Dad always says God is just a hunk and hunk of burning love. I mean, God is God is love, and so when he made the universe out of himself is what? Love. And so things respond to love. People respond to love. They respond a lot better to love than really anything else. And so it's interesting how he says that love is a magnet which draws all things into it. If you really love something and, like, you, let's say you love to bake, it's almost like all that just comes natural to you. You're just finding recipes. You're grabbing things. You're making something. It's because you love that thing. And it's like that whatever, and the Bible says that everything was made for Jesus, for him, and through him, and through him all things consist. And what is Jesus? He's love because he is the father in the flesh. And so the first place he says, I love the, fa- I love the flower. And he says, even the secret truths hidden in rocks and stones, criminals, criminals, Um, against the third degree will break down and confess their deepest secrets of their lives when confronted with the one who deeply loves them. Flowers are not any more abundant than criminals, but they will not, they cannot give up their deeper secrets to those who despise them and who do not love them. Well, it's the same with people. People know when you despise them. People know when you don't like them. People know when you walk in a room and you're like, you've been talking about them. And dad always says that, and it's very true. But you know when you walk in a room and, you, and you've been talking good about somebody, you're like, man, I, I love Robert. I love that guy. And you see him, there's a smile on your face. Well, people, people know that. And so I love deer hunting. I will sit in the woods all day. I packed sandwiches, put them in both pockets. I got Gatorades. I got lots of powder. I got extra bullets. Did you black powder hunt this last week? Oh, I'm telling this, the state of Alabama because it's black powder season. No, I'm kidding. It, He's in Texas. But I love the woods. I love to find out where the deer are going. I love to watch them. I love to be there all. I mean, I'll sit in the woods all day, take naps, eat snacks. And I got this big fanny pack. It's like all extra. And I got all my stuff in it, my, you know, my binoculars. And I got more snacks in there so I can last longer. Just lots of snacks, really. And so <laughs> I'll walk from this mountain to that mountain to that mountain and obviously, I didn't have the four-wheeler because I rolled it off the side of the mountain, so I did a lot of walking. <laughs> but I really love deer hunting, so I'll do, I'll, I'll put in the, the work because I love it. And I came home with a few deer. And just, and dad and mom both love deer hunting. They come home with deer. So if someone despises it, that's not for them. So um, let's see, he says never, he examined the flowers, he caressed it, studied it, he talked with it, loved the flowers. And so that was an, uh, another part. The second thing he said of making the flowers speak to him is the, is the quality of humanity. Uh, I think he's talking about you know, humility, sorry. While anyone who talks with him writes will be impressed with the extent of his knowledge and the quality of George Washington Carver's mind, but anyone will probably put him down as a quiet and the most modest man that he's ever met. He seemed even timid. The most notable characteristic aside from the great mental capacity which marks him as a genius, is his deep humility. There was never a more humble spirit than him. And the Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. And so, um, you know, humble people, humble people can take correction. Humble people listen. If someone's got pride, they don't want to hear what anybody has to say. They know it all. And so he was saying that the second quality was going to be humility. And he said that Dr. Carver would forget about himself. He's selfless. He's humble. Um, I want to see what the third one was. He said that talking about even the flowers, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these flowers. Uh, let's see. The third thing was 
expectancy. He said the third thing he would carry with him would be the expectancy born of faith. Expectancy alone is not strong enough of a word. The word wonder comes nearer to what I mean. But wonder does not have enough fire and force. It's not strong and vital, piercing enough. The word fear was used for this purpose by the prophets of the Old Testament. In some ways, the word so shunned by the modern approaches more merely what I want, but the word fear has teeth in it. It holds the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom and is a powerful statement. But he said that the word expectancy, how George was always waking up in the morning um, expecting to hear from God that day, expecting to talk with him. He, was, he would read books after books. They said they'd never met a man who was more hungry but not only hungry, he was expecting something to happen. And so even God, you know, with, with Moses, was wanting Moses to put his expectation, even him, when he was crossing the Red Sea. And so just to believe God for what he said and expect that his word will come to pass. And so that's where the second thing will be. It takes faith to increase in your life. Obviously, we said faith comes by hearing, not having heard, not something you heard yesterday. And... Um, and I, I, I love pumping in me what I want to see in my life. The next thing I'm going to start studying is the gifts of the Spirit. I want to see the gifts of the Spirit working. I don't study them enough. You even ask me, can I quote them all to you? Probably can't. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, uh, tongues and interpretation, um, gifts of healing. I probably can't even quote them all. But I should be able to. I don't study it enough. I don't love those gifts. So I need to, those are an area of my life. And so, like he was saying, take something that you want to increase in and set it aside to say every day I want, I'm going to put this, I'm going to study this subject. And so one area of faith can work um, and maybe not another area. Somebody can be really good in the area of healing because they've exercised that spiritual muscle. They've read healing books. They've studied healing. But then they may be, I've heard that some of the most Broke people could be healing ministers because they never studied the subject of prosperity. They never see, wanted to see what God had to say about money. So the areas of your life that you want to increase in, you're going to have to exercise those areas, and it takes faith to do that. And faith is just simply acting on what God said and, and hearing. It's really, faith is really easy. The law of faith is really easy. It's just simply hearing the word of God, continuing to hear it, and then just making action towards what you want to see. It's not, it's not hard. Um, let's see, the next thing would be, obviously, you know, you, you have to qualify, and we did a lot of that on Sunday. Uh, then the one would be after that would be, I think, number four, increases to help people into completed assignments, not just for you, Luke 12. Everywhere in the, in the Bible, God is increasing people to increase their serve, their service. What did Daniel do? He ser- no, Joseph, he served all the nations around him. And so if you're wanting to increase because of selfish just for you, this is going to be, this is what God said about people that want to increase just for, the, for selfish ambition, not because they want to serve people. Um, it even says in the Hebrews that David, when they put him to rest, he served his generation. And Mark Hankins always talks about serving your generation. You know, his father served his generation. My father served his generation. But Luke 12 and uh, let's see, I want to go to, oh, I didn't, put a, I didn't put a thing on it. Parable of the rich fool. Yeah, I see 13. One from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? He said to him, take heed and beware of covetousness. What is covetous? That's just you love money. So the rich young ruler just, it wasn't that God did, what, didn't want to bless because he knew that, what did I say in the book of Deuteronomy? It says that the covenant will be established and God gives you the power to give you wealth. And so when you had money as in a Jew, you, you were establishing the covenant. But Jesus was telling the rich young ruler, I want you to come after me. I don't have a problem with you having money, but he loved money more than anything else. And so covetousness is the love of money. For one's life does not consist in abundance of things he possesses. He spoke a parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? Well, he's just storing and storing and storing and storing. doesn't sound like he's really giving to anybody, does it? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. 
I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Wow, that sounds real selfish. God said to him, fool, for this night your soul will be required of you. Then those things which you have provided is a question mark. So is, is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards what? God. And so he's saying this. Don't say that God wants to increase you so you could build bigger barns, so you can have more stuff, so you can tear it down, build it bigger, so you can sit there and say, I'm going to be merry. I'm going to take it easy. It's going to be for me, myself, my family, my four, and no more. No. God's whole purpose of increasing people was to do what? To serve. He says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you will become the servant of all. Remember I read the scripture about Paul? He said, I labor more to serve more abundantly than you all. So Paul, he wrote two-thirds in the New Testament. God used them in a mighty way. It says that even handkerchiefs and things would, would go forth from Paul and, and people would get healed and God built his character. But Paul said, Paul said, number one, I pray in the Holy Ghost more than everybody and I serve more than everybody. And so the gift of God that was on Paul's life and the increase that God was bringing to Paul was that Paul could distribute the gospel. He was writing letters to churches. He was helping churches. He was helping the fellow Brethren, he was not just doing it for himself. And so that's the parable of increases not for you just to get rich so you can have a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger house. Because really, um, without, without people and loving people and helping people, what really is the purpose of life? Uh, the, the community of God and the family of God. Of just if you had a lot of money. And so that was the thing that Jesus dealt with with a rich young ruler. And, and he was offering him a seat on the 12 to be sit with Jesus. And the guy said no because his possessions was great. It wasn't that the possessions was wrong. It's just that the possessions had a hold of him. And so um, increase is your increase to serve in your, your, your gifts. So Acts 19, 11. So we've got about 15 minutes. Wow. Starting to be like my dad. I'm running out of time and not running out of sermon. I guess this is a good thing. So Acts 19, 11 through 1. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the disease left them, and evil spirits went out. Paul started his life, obviously, on the road to Damascus, where he saw the bright light, was confronted by Jesus. He said, why are you persecuting me? So he goes from Saul to Paul, and then he spends a lot of time with the disciples in Jerusalem, and then he goes away out into the wilderness, and he comes back. And so God is working on Paul to grow him, and towards the end of Paul's life, this is where he's at. And so God is growing Paul to do a, do a work. There's something that God wants him to do, and it involves a lot of other people. And I believe that the more God uses you in these areas, the more, obviously, training and things he's going to build up your character to get there. Because imagine if Paul was doing this and Paul was just, like I said Sunday, uh, Paul just had a really bad temper and attitude and a mouth on him. But yet all this was happening. Well, God's not going to have that. So God had worked on his character. God worked on many things with Paul. But Paul also was a st studier of the word. And so once he got out of Judaism, that he did, took the same devotion that he had to the law and he put it to what the new to what was being taught to him at that point. I don't know what they had. But so he was very motivated and determined. If you read, there's a book called If I Were God, Would I Choose You by Rick Renner. And it talks about the life of Paul. Do you have it? Have you read it? It's, and it's amazing how, I mean, they, they go into all the, the beatings of Paul. Paul was one, one day, one night in the deep. Uh, Paul said three times, my legs were beaten with rods. And so Rick Renner talks about that the rods were metal rods. And three times they, break, they broke all of his bones on his legs and his feet. And Paul, that's why he said, God, Jesus, the Lord quickens my mortal body. And Paul just kept walking everywhere and preaching the gospel. So they broke his legs three times and tried to get him to quit preaching the gospel. And Paul kept preaching the gospel. Paul was shipwrecked three times. He spent a whole 24 hours in the deep of the ocean. They don't really say they know, like, if he was on a raft. They just said 24 hours I spent in the deep. Uh, he, he, he was whipped um, three different times with 49 lashes on each one to where basically when they were done with him, there was no skin left on him. 
Paul just kept going and preaching the gospel. And so Paul knew what he had to do, but there was a resilience in him that nothing's going to stop me from preaching this gospel. And when I heard about the rods and how they would break his feet and he would just keep walking and preaching, and I think that's where he wrote a lot of those scripture where, like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Uh, what, it says that when they, they stoned Paul and how they stoned him is they would take rocks and they would beat him in the head until they were just completely dead. And they would throw big rocks at their head. Well, Paul was stoned to death in a city. Then the disciples came over and prayed over him. And Paul got right back up, and he went right back into the city. <laughs> Most people, man, <laughs> you working for Word of Life Church, and they drag you out there and stone you. You're, I'm out of this church. I'm not working here no more. <laughs> this is, I am not called here. <laughs> Anyways, that's a really good book that I started reading, If I Were God, Would I Choose You? And Rick Renner's going into the life of Paul. And uh, maybe one day I'll, I'll teach. But Paul's assignment was to the Gentiles to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Jesus' assignment was humanity being restored to the Father, sacrificing his own blood on the cross to make peace with God and man. James' assignment was to pastor the church in Jerusalem. Samson's assignment was, to take, was basically to kill the Philistines and, and to deliver Israel. But Samson was a type of Jesus to where Samson sacrificed even himself, like Jesus would. And so... Abraham's assignment was to start a new nation, though he would, uh, through Abraham would come the Messiah. Jonah's assignment was to get Nineveh to repent. Solomon's assignment was to build the temple that his father had designed. Elisha's assignment was to serve Elijah, and the Lord would then eventually promote him to a double portion. Moses' assignment was to free the children of Israel and take them into the promised land. Joshua ended up taking them into the promised land because Moses had ended up failing on, on that part. Peter's assignment was to feed the lambs, to feed the sheep, and to tend the sheep. Judas's was to be a disciple and to manage the money, which he did not. He failed in that. So, and then there was even another guy named Demaeus, whose his assignment was uh, to be with Paul, but he, he forsook Paul and abandoned his ministry in 2 Timothy uh, 4.10. So even on that, sometimes people can abandon their assignment, which God has for them. But increase is for you to do an assignment. There's something for you to do. There's something for you to serve. And so I want to read a scripture um, from Colossians. I'm going to go to the last scripture real quick because it just ties in. And the Colossians 1, 9 through 12, but I want to read this in the message translation. I know it's going to be kind of small. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. I pray this prayer over myself all the time, Colossians 1, but in the King James. Um, and I'll say, God, give me a wise mind and a spirit that will attend to your will and acquire through understanding the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard, as you learn more and more how God works. You will learn how to do your own work. That's interesting how he says that. The more you learn how God works, he says the more you'll learn how to do your own work. And so the, he says, we'll pray you have the strength to stick with it over the long haul, not the grim strength of get, gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It's a strength that endures the un, unendurable and spills over into joy. I pray that over myself. Lord, give me the strength that endures the undurable and spills over to joy. Give me the God strength. Um, and so there's different translations. Even the Amplified has some really good ones about uh, one of them, I think he says, he says, give, he says, God will give you a superhuman strength. And so I like praying that over myself. It's strength that endures the unendurable, spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take the part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. But I love how he said right there how the, the more you learn how to do God's work, you will learn how to do your work. And so increase comes the more you spend time with God. And like I said earlier, and the study time with God, the more that God is going to show you your destiny and the work that you're supposed to be doing, like every one of the disciples did. They, they knew the part that they were supposed to play. They had an assignment. Increase was not just for them to be selfish. So I'll read a few more about increase, Isaiah 54, 2. So people can't say increase is not in the Bible. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. 2 Corinthians 9.10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and he'll do what? He'll increase the fruits of your righteousness. Psalms 115.14-15, may the Lord give you 
increase more and more, you and your children. First Chronicles 4, 9 through 10. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain, Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your right hand might be with me, and that you'd keep me from all harm and not bring me pain. And so he says, you would, God, you would enlarge my border. Genesis 26, 12, Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in that same year a hundredfold, and the Lord had blessed him. Isaiah 9, 7. This is the best one. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be what? No end. Increase of his government, there will be no end to it. That means it's going to increase and increase and increase. And upon the throne of David over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So even forever, God is going to increase. And so why aren't we thinking more increase now? We get comfortable. You know, I'm not going to lie, we get lazy. Dad start talking about a school, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're already doing so much. You know, and then, but what it makes you have to do is you got to start thinking bigger. And then I'm listening to Jonathan, and he's preaching about Acts 13, 44, how the whole entire city came to hear the word of the Lord almost on the next Sabbath. And he started preaching that so strong one day, and I'm out there raking the leaves before, you know, and I'm thinking, I need to, and that just got in my spirit. And that's when I talked to David, and I said, let's do something bigger for the fall festival. Because at first we were going to do a little fall festival just for our people. You know, we don't want to work too hard this Thanksgiving. And um, I, started, I got on that scripture, and then that just kept pumping in me. And then I said, you know what? We're going to do our best to reach the entire city. And we had about, what, 500 people that night show up just in and out. And the Lord just started showing me, if you have faith for increase, that's when it will start happening. But you've got to start believing for increase. And there's a, I believe there's a lot more the Lord wants us to do. Like Dad was saying, the school, the books, there's things. And if we're, the church is ever going to grow, we've got to stay, start thinking more leadership, more increase, um, increasing in our discipleship, how we disciple people. We might not, it may not be so much all, all that I believe increase in numbers, but too that increasing in how people are discipled and how we're training people so that like people can go out and do the work. And then it's like Rosa. I mean, increases. Now she's in Honduras with another church, and she's, she's the one going and leading that, not just pastor anymore. And so I believe that God wants us to increase. There's a million scriptures. The whole Old Testament is God taking one man and increasing him to do a work, to serve his generation, to do something for people. And I think that what happens with us is we, we think, well, in town, we're doing pretty good. We're doing all right. And then we kind of get lazy and we coast. And God's saying, no, there's a lot more out there. And I, I understand it's, it's not always easy to believe. You have to, um, when I, you know, even with flying, it's like believing that I'm going to have a plane is like, oh, my gosh, that's millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands a year to have a plane. But yet God always increased people, I mean, even to the point where they were just over an entire kingdom. I mean, I can't even imagine myself like president coming to me, President Trump, and saying, you know, bow, bowing down before me and putting me in second command over all of the United States. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure that, uh, but that's, I mean, if you want to relate that to that, that time, like the time of Daniel serving, if like the time of Daniel would be like serving Biden right now, and, and this time with all the, the stuff that's happening, and the, the, the king, I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar was not a good guy. And, uh, I mean, he just have your head at any moment. And God said, Daniel, you're going to go in and serve him. And so even when there's a wicked king or a bad king, God still put his people in there and said, this is what I want you doing. And God took care of them. And they were in command of the entire nation. And so I think that, you know, if, if I'm not, this is kind of maybe in, in how it would look, but if God put somebody to serve Putin right now and put him in second command and Putin's just, you know, doing what he's doing, destroying Ukraine and getting, you know, merging with China and trying to, trying to create, there's this whole war that's happening. But that's where I think where God says my ways are above your ways. And God's looking at a bigger picture of maybe how you can serve. And yet sometimes we just think so small. And I couldn't see myself serving a president. But maybe I should, should see myself doing a lot more than what I'm doing. And I mean, God did it all through the Old Testament, right? I mean, to the point where uh, 
and the last thing that I, I will say is that even when Lot was so blessed that Abraham, him and Abraham had to split ways, the one thing Lot did wrong was it says he went as far as Sodom and pitched his tent towards Sodom. And that's where Lot messed up, is that he's not realizing how the blessing's coming to him. It's from Abraham, his, his uncle. And Lot goes as far as Sodom and puts his tent where looks right at Sodom. I would have put my tent, or I wouldn't even have gone as far as Sodom. Don't, what you put your eyes in front of and your ears in front of, like, he, like Jonathan was saying, faith comes by hearing, that's what's pumping into you. That's what you're looking at. And that's what you want. Where do you want to go? Do you want to be using the gifts of the Spirit? I want to be more used in the gifts of the Spirit. I want to be, I want to increase in my giving. I want to increase in my relationships. I want to increase in, in my teaching gifts and my ability, but I'm going to have to, to put that into me and to start believing that. And so I think that the, when you start seeing the Bible as the whole Bible was about increase, you start realizing that there's a lot more for us to start doing, that the positions that these, and that's Old Covenant. A lot of those guys are Old Testament. And how much more somebody with the life of God, the blood of Jesus in them, Jesus living on the inside of them, not on the outside of them where they have to fleece, but now they lives in them, how much more are we really supposed to be doing? I mean, King Solomon, Old Testament. And what did, what did Jesus say? That the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist and all the prophets of old. And so we think so small to where God did all these things with people and then it's like we get to American Christianity and it's just like, well, I got a good job, I got a good 401k and I'm good. I go to church, I pay my tithes and that's it. And so I just believe that God is wanting to do a lot more, but he has to get us to start seeing increase in our lives. I got to start thinking bigger, more that I can handle employees, that I could run, I don't need to be doing everything, that I can handle 10, 15 people, and then one day it'll be only a few people I'll handle, and they'll handle the rest. But I have to see myself doing that and thinking that way. But it's never been done in our family before, so it's hard to see that until I start hanging around people, like Jonathan says, hang around people where, that, are, that are where you want to go. I hang around Mark Hankins. I hang around Jonathan Shuttlesworth. I actually saw him the other night at the river, and I gave him, you know, shook his hand, gave him a hug as he was walking by, and he's like, hey, I know you. And so I'll, I'll go down and see him and hang out with him. Why? Because I want that impartation, what he's preaching to get on me. Because I want what he's got. People have given him a church. People are giving him a stadium. He's been preaching in, in Philadelphia, and the whole city showed up when he was preaching based off of what he's been studying and believing for. And so I want that on me. And so I'm, I'm going to hang around people. Now, I'm not saying that you never, he said, you know, you're, you're always going to reach down towards people and love people and bring people into the kingdom of God and show them the love of God. But he said, don't spend all your time with when you're ministering to people with them all the time because you still need to have a core of a few people that you're close to that are building that life into you. I spend a lot of time with dad, a lot of time with Zach and different people. I don't, probably not a whole lot of time because we don't do gym as much. But um, talking to Mark Hankins, I talked to Mary Fran. Why? Because I want what they have. So you, so you hang around those people. And so I'm going to go ahead and pray and uh, just believe God that, that that impartation of increase is coming on, on you, everyone, tonight. Father, we thank you for increase, that you said that the increase of your government, there should be no end. You said that you'll build your church. You said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Father, I pray that every person in the sound of my voice is hearing increase right now and they're increasing in their lives they're increasing in their walk with you they're increasing with their their time with you their prayer time with you they're instead of sometimes the minuscule tasks of the day they'll put that aside and they'll say i'm going to pump the word in me today of what i want to increase in whether it's finances whether it's on healing whether it's on the gifts of the spirit whether it's on just being hearing god's voice or hearing or knowing their calling with god father i pray that they'll begin to find those things will find them as that hunger like Lynn Hammond says, that hunger is like a vacuum. Those who hunger and thirst for your things shall be filled. And I pray that you fill every person, Father, with increase tonight. That they would do more than they've ever done. That they would complete an assignment that you've called them to do. That there is something that every person in this building is to do in this earth before they leave. And, Father, that you start depositing that in them as they sleep tonight to believe you for more. Your whole purpose of the Old Testament was showing how to increase. And I believe that the, the church in America is supposed to increase for the gospel's sake. And I pray that over this church that we would increase. We would build the school. 
we would get the books out. We would, there would be more people getting healed, more people getting delivered, more people saved, more people on fire, more people discipled. Father, increase our vision. Father, like the man said that JR, when he said, Lord, I believe, just help my unbelief. And Father, take the areas of that we have unbelief, and I pray that you would uh, show us how to start believing in those areas in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message by Word of Life Church. We just wanted to let you know there's a lot more content on our website at wolapopka.com. From our YouTube channel, to our podcast, to our SoundCloud, and many more events. We also wanted to let you know that we love giving you these messages. And it helps us too that if you would love to give to the what we're doing, it helps keep all these messages free. You can just simply go to our website and click the big give now button. Or you can text 407-955-5345. And remember, our pastor's vision is this. We grow Christians. So we thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.